0: It is a little, yeah, here a little, women are, they they say, oh, how much they love me. But when I'm very flirty with the husband, then I never see them again (laughs) across the street.
1: Hey, welcome back to the Rose Woman Pod. I'm your host, Christine Marie Mason. This is a show where we explore something new every week to bring more freedom in your beautiful embodiment, science, spirituality, philosophy, practical life skills, Most of you are women, but I think about 30% of you are guys now. So I can't say that this is a pod just for female bodied people. Uh, That there seems to be a good segment of men who are interested in understanding broader questions of uh, life in a female experience, life in the body. And I think a lot of the stuff we talk about are topics that apply to everyone the androgynous half and half soul. So, This week, how do you stay fresh and creative and curious your whole life long? Today, I'm having a conversation with artist Beatrix Ost, Trixie, a painter, sculptor, writer, designer, and ambassador of peace. Beatrix is currently at 82, co-developing a large-scale immersive exhibition with her co-artist, Michelle, titled, I Could Have Been Tree Instead. The show will be featured in fine art museums and other venues across the world, beginning with the Toro Museum of Contemporary Art in Virginia. She also has written screenplays, produced movies in theater, and acted in films and on the stage. When she arrived to New York from Germany as a young adult in the 1970s, she quickly became an art and fashion icon and has remained an influential and acclaimed luminary in both worlds. Her resume includes a residency at the New York Academy of Art, solo exhibitions at Second Street Gallery... Les Yeux du Monde, and various galleries in Europe, as well as several group exhibitions at New York Academy of Art, Second Street, and the University of Virginia and Art Museum, to name a few. Her books include The Philosopher's Style and More Than Everything, and A Piece of Me. We start by talking about her practice of silence and deeply listening to others. I read that you practice silence and that that was an important part of your process and, and development. Can you tell a little bit about your silence practice?
0: 25 years ago, I had a brooch, a little brooch made, uh, which now one can buy in that company, Article 22, where I have where I designed jewelry to, for. But the brooch says practicing silence, and I would wear it. I wanted to go out at night and wear a super dress and be among people, but I didn't want to talk. Specifically, I didn't want to talk, just, just easygoing talk. I just wanted to be with people and silent. So I put the brooch on and would point at it when somebody approached me to talk to. I would say, you know, and keep my mouth shut and became a listener. And I became a completely addicted listener because when you listen and don't prepare an answer... Because the preparation of an answer, you want to be clever. You want to be cleverer sometimes. You want to be very, very interesting. You want to be funny. And all that goes flat because you're only listening and not answering. So I became very, it, it was, became fascinating. And from that came my last book, The Philosopher's Style, which has Of many, many, look, of 60 interviews I did, it has 40 of them are in there. And the interviewee, what is me, would ask my subject one question. And the question was, what is the marrow in your bone? And people would tell me their most intimate stories, how they're holding up, who they deeply are. If you come back from Afghanistan as a photographer after the war, and you have all three limbs are gone, or you are a 35-year-old beautiful woman and you're in a wheelchair, and you will never leave that wheelchair. So when I asked these people, among, you know, among other <laughs> either, you know, just what interested me, when I asked them, what's the marrow in your bone, I got magnificent answers and I could listen.
1: One question and then silence.
0: One question and silence, and I started writing down what they told me. And sometimes I asked another question. Sometimes it became a conversation because the person wanted to have one, but then we had the topic and the topic was you. Mm. What is the bar- mar- marrow in your bone? What-
1: I, I'm, imagining, I'm imagining you in this dress with this sign going out to a party. And initially, when you first started explaining it, I had a response in my body like being quiet and not, in, not interacting is kind of a way of isolation and, and that you shifted it in immediately in me by saying that it was a practice of listening. And I was thinking how uncomfortable it is to just be in silence um, unless you're with a person who you're harmonious with energetically that to be with another person in complete silence is quite an art actually
0: oh yeah and i i like to be i have i am in a relationship with a very nice man and he also likes to be silent and we can be silent and it is very intimate it's lovely mm. we don't we are not you know sometimes how silence is uh, as you said it's not convenient or it doesn't feel it feels inconvenient or, or as you
1: said isolated ekelhaft it, does, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't i like it no but you can but but you can have the i like it when i'm there with some people it's so easy and elegant and the field between is so harmonious and then with others there's like a crackling Unpleasantness, yeah, exactly, and and even that you have to be quiet enough to notice. Mm-hmm.
0: It's also an enormous. There's enor- you you're confronting people with insecurity by being so comfortably still. Uh, you know, I'm comfortably shutting my mouth. I'm just completely still and not saying anything, and that is often very making other people very insecure. Well, let's talk about
1: security. So so this quality of security or self-assuredness, which is not arrogance, it's just like a depth of quietude in yourself. Can you talk about that? Like, is it something cultivated? It is something from your upbringing? What is that like? I think, you know, I was brought
0: up as the, my father would always say, she's brilliant. I was a, t- a little three-year-old and I was interrupting Uh, along, like 15 people around the table because, as I said, we had food after the war, and I would say, Papi, Papi, I heard the cuckoo cry, And, and I think it's spring. And my father would say, this is brilliant, my dear. It's fantastic. Everybody listen. Beatrix has something to say. This little me was listened to. I had something to say, and they were all quiet. And I felt I was important. My observations were heard by the head of everything, my father. And I was listened to throughout my upbringing. My father always said, so what, tell me something. You know, I would tell tell him, he would always say, Beatrix is so enormously smart. I was always the smart one. I think it had something to do with that. You know, I wasn't that pretty little girl. Uh-uh. I was the one who was listened to. So I think it, it I say this often to, to people who have small children, specifically to the father. Tell them how smart they are and they will never disappoint you. Don't tell them how pretty they are. That comes, my father always said, that comes on the side, that's not earned. But your mind, the way your mind works, that is smart, that is admirable. Imagine a father says this
1: the generosity of that a good father yes and also my father my father told me don't rely on your looks because they change and don't even rely he he really was about showing up and doing the work and being kind and i am grateful to that forever yeah you go i feel like for you that just listening to that how beautiful the practice that you chose of being silent and listening to others as a form of love in your book is a direct mirror of being listened to um, as a form of love by your father, silencing the room. That's like such a beautiful echo. It is. It is. Yeah. I read that you said uh, in your body is a good place to be. Mm Mm-hmm. That's my motto. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Oh, my right now, everybody's working on these disembodied technologies, the metaverse, whatever, virtual reality, and like this longing to come back in the body, touch the ground, all of that. Tell me about how you came on that motto and what it means to you. Yeah.
0: I came on it because it's the only thing you got. This is your house. (laughs) It's the only house you can control. Feed it well read the right things, look at the landscape, let it and obs, let observe everything, but it all ends up in your body. And make that a good place to be. You better make that the best place to be because it's the only one you really inhabit. See, my house burned down. I had a house on the Hudson River, a huge house. It burned down with everything in it. Okay, gone. It was a body where we all wanted to live longer in it. It burned away. So my body, I'm still having it, carrying it around. It's my house. It's a good place to be. Inside, from there, I can get out and give to people and love people and be kind because I have been good to my house. Do you tell people your age? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, I have to talk about it because it's written everywhere. I'm 82.
1: And, and what is the embodiment like for you? Are, you? are you active and moving and dancing? And how does that, what is it like to be 82?
0: It's like being, uh, I don't know. I have no concept. I have no idea. I feel like I'm a teenager. I live here with two, with my 16-year-old teenager, Ava. And we had a wonderful conversation with like five of her friends sitting around, all these sixteen year olds. And they they include me in their hanging outness. And I feel at home, and I said I feel like at home with you, because you don't know what the future is. You don't know how your body will develop. You don't know what's coming at you. But I don't know either. I have no idea how it is to be old. I don't know. I feel like a teenager. I feel like you. I'm interested in everything you are interested in. I am not, I have no concept of age. I don't know. I have a man in my life. I am living in the moment. I I don't know. It is. It is what it is.
1: It is like being a teenager. I find that in my, in my mid fifties, it's, you know, I feel I wrote that yesterday. Like, I feel like I'm 16 and it's, and it's this curiosity that seems to be the thing. And then I look at like my elders, my grandmothers, for example, and they, they got old. And what I mean by that is they like something shut down in them and their world turned more and more inward. And the, I, I'm I'm sort of like trying to look at like, what is this lifetime creativity, this what are the ingredients in that? It's firstly, it's curiosity.
0: It's that deep curiosity, a deep curiosity. And then it's also joy, a joy of life. I mean, today is a rainy day. I look out, I look into the rain and I say, oh, that is great for nature. I'm not thinking, oh my God, a rainy day, so great. No, I say, it's fantastic, it rains. You know, it, it, It's this, this is what's given to you and you... Make it into a present because it is the present. You know, it's just an intertwined thing, but it comes from in your body is a good place to be.
1: In your body is a good place to be. The present is a present. Yeah. Um, And then this curiosity. Thank you. Thank you for that. They're living with you, your 16-year-olds? your grandchildren? 16 and 12 year old living with
0: me always one week. Yeah. And one week with the mother, the divorce from my son. But we are all friends and everybody comes constantly and I would not live alone because it's just wonderful to have them around. Yeah. The more the merrier.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel. I want that big Rough and tumble, big pot of soup on. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It's, and it's so—it really is—is is interesting. And they bring friends, and they have—they have a totally open view on life and on racism and on everything, every topic. They are so informed, and yeah, I learn so much from them. It's—it's it's really wonderful. They're sitting in the, my little glass house, and she smokes a cigarette. And she waves through the glass to me to come in and smoke with her. (laughs) It is so funny. (laughs) She,
1: my sixteen-year-old grandchild, it's it's just fantastic. She's so lucky to have you. Are you in love? Huh? Are you in love with this? Are you in love with this person? Your guy? I am in love. I am love. I love
0: (laughs) my sons. I love their kids. I adore. Everybody, am I in love with this man? Yeah, I think so. I'm very quiet with him. Yeah, he's it's, it's a super guy. I adore who he is, <laughs> what he made of his life, where he comes from. I, I come I come from the best of the best, and he comes from the worst of the worst. How interesting we got together. It's very interesting what he does. He's a teacher.
1: You, you say, I adore what he made of his life. Yeah. That such a speaking to your your values of like what you see in people.
0: Yeah, yeah. I really, I, this is, I could say, do I love him? I'm not so sure, but I certainly adore what he made of his life. So that is that love. I think it is love.
1: Hmm.
0: It's a form. Yes, it's a form.
1: Yeah, I, w- I have a, a couple of questions that are related to gender, can we talk about that for a minute? Sure. Do you think of yourself as a female artist or an artist? And how do you think being a female art maker has changed over your lifetime and the reception you've gotten?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm a female artist. I see myself as a woman and a mother. Yes, it has changed changed tremendously. It was enormously hard to get into the art world in the 80s and 90s. The galleries belonged to women and they wanted to have males artists in their wings and yeah, it was very hard. And also my, my companion, uh, Michelle, she says the same thing. It was not easy. And women were, were also always secondary regarded as artists, but it did not stop me from doing everything I was doing, but it was, Hard and I have I have a collector in New York, and she said, You will never make it here. You're way too elegant, you don't fit. And I didn't fit because, yes, I was very elegant because it was the easiest thing for me to be elegant and to buy not this but that. I am, you know, I don't have a sweatsuit, a sweat outfit, I don't need that. I have something which looks really cool, so <laughs> I'm. So she said, you will not make it. And the art world in the 80s and 90s in New York was so kind of intertwined with each other. Yeah. Mm. But it's okay. It's okay. It's what it is. Yeah, but women have it harder, yes. How has it changed? Now they are very much into uh, fighting and changing and fighting. I think we, we fight too hard, which shows how weak we think we are, but we are not weak. I said to a group of teenagers, never underestimate, never forget, you give birth to a human being, you are able to, that is power. Never forget that power that you, the woman has the ultimate power. And just apply that to your life and apply that to your
1: professional life. Keep going as a woman, There's a velvet core of you, like this strong velvet core that I can feel from here, like in your solar plexus, you know, that there's this sense of deep knowing of who you are and that you matter and that your femininity matters. I just feel it when I, when you're speaking, it's such a, it's very contagious Beatrix mm-hmm. thank you you say that and my whole like that's right I feel this affirmation of that experience mm-hmm. so this idea of being a woman and a mother as a as a informing your work in the world and not something that you have to separate from I think that was part of the error of the early women's movement yeah it's like the the idea that you have to split that off and become like a man to be successful instead of integrating it
0: exactly. Yeah, I always felt I have power, even when I was rejected and rejected and rejected. It didn't take away my powerful, the feeling for power, at power, being powerful. Hmm. It was there.
1: My mother came to the United States in uh, 1965 from Germany, and she never made her home. She could never land, and so we were back and forth all the time, my whole childhood. And you know there are other people who come and they land and they f- and they just claim a place as their own. Uh, can you speak a little bit to this sort of emigration and identity and and sort of how the German American piece blends for you?
0: I to- I totally can understand her. I I'm I'm totally exotic here. I never land. I look at it often in surprise. I, many things I like, many things I dislike. What I like is that in this little town of Charlottesville we have now, I, I, I don't know, just on our mall, we have like seven cafes where people sit outside and have a coffee in a beautiful European cup and take a little time. You know, see, these are all these kind of, there's a certain leisure in the Germany and then into Italy, it gets more leisure, leisurely, although Germans are very you know, working, working, but they, they take time and hang out. I think it's hard. It was hard for your mother culturally to just be swallowed up and say, oh, yeah, hooray, I am here. And, yeah, I don't have that either. I can, I can say there are marvelous things here, but there are also horrible things here. And it just is, is more of a pick and choose. I often say we forgot to go back which we did because life became enormously interesting living in New York and having the farm in Virginia and after the house burned down then we bought that farm
1: well just to just to like bring bring that around my I was just back in um 3 weeks ago in our hometown and nothing's changed in 50 years. You didn't have to go back because it's exactly the same. What is the, ta- what is the town? <laughs> it's uh, Brilon. Das ist in Nordrhein-Westfalen, so in the Nord, um, in, in Sauerland. Yeah, Sauerland, yeah. Sauerland is up- Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Just very, um, but very, like you're saying, there's a spaciousness, there's a dignity, but also things don't change. I mean, it could have been 1982, seriously, 50 years ago, and I wouldn't have known the difference. And that is one thing that I feel there's a dynamism and a reinvention here, but the there is something about being an outsider insider where you're like a little bit in the culture and you're a little bit outside of the culture being able to observe it with a different orientation that I think sometimes it enhances our uh, like creativity, that friction enhances it in some way. Mm-hmm. Now that I have the sense of your power, you know, like the and sort of your, your agency, it feels like it's, it's not um, that that might be an a priori, a priori cultivation to live a long, happy, creative life from zero to 100, always making, being curious, that probably feeds right into the question on sexuality and sensuality and staying turned on. Like just how do you stay turned on and in that way your whole life long? I think it it has it had to do with uh,
0: joy, with life joy. I was so and I was so terribly enjoying finding someone. I don't have to turn that on and off. It's always there. I, I also love to look at men and flirt with them. I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and having sex is wonderful. It's the same like it was. I don't know when. It's fine.
1: The art, the art of flirting. Yeah. Very much so. Uh, what's the what's the art of flirting? What's that? Can you
0: describe that? Oh my God! And women are so afraid. Sometimes they're so afraid of me. I could steal their husband. Don't I ever? No, no. I just want to make give him a funny a funny moment or something delightful. Or you know, they all look around constantly like crazy. <laughs> you know, it's just it just part of being human it's very
1: playful homo 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 luden yeah 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 homo luden's playful man yeah (laughs) i think people might have forgotten how to flirt
0: it's true it is a little yeah here a little uh, women are they they say oh how much they love me but when i'm very flirty with the husband then i never see them again (laughs) across the street i just i just don't get it i think it's I flirt with the policeman. You're making his day. Put your dogs on the leash, he says. Put your dogs on the leash. <laughs> I say, yeah, yeah, I do, I do. But right now, you know, it's better when they do their business. They want to be off the leash and I watch it better. And so, I mean, it's, it's just so nice. It
1: makes life nice. <laughs> yeah. I, I, this is great. I, You know, I. I feel like there's so much seriousness, like the topics you're addressing are serious. Environmental collapse. What's your role in the world? You know, uh, are you nature? Are you not nature? Those are serious. But somehow, even as you're describing the work and the impact the work might have on these big, important questions for humanity, like what's your identity and how do you relate to the world? When I speak with you, I feel it light on me. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I think we have to carry light. And I do. Uh,
0: I make every day I meditate two times on the light from above. I, made, I, have, a, I have developed a light meditation and I let light s- stream through my body. And I just feel it is the way of, of saying thank you that I am alive as a human being. It is my way of thanking
1: and is it ju- uh, describe how it works you sit you sit as a process and you just feel it dropping in the crown
0: yeah i sit and breathe and go into breathing in and out and then i develop a desire to have an enormous light coming down at me and it sometimes is fantastic it goes immediately through not immediately but slowly through my whole my face and the ears and through my whole body, piece, little piece by little piece down to the legs. Sometimes I'm thinking too many other things. I go back to breathing, back to breathing, back to breathing. It takes longer. So not often, it, but most of the time. And then I, in the afternoon, I do an upside down meditation. My legs are way, way up and I'm way down there. And I let the light come through, just through, through me embalm me with light. I, it would, if somebody can stand on his head, he can do it that way, but I cannot stand on my head. I lay, put the legs way up and then lay down with only my shoulders. In my head.
1: I think the yoga posture for that is called uh, vi- Viparita Karani, Viparita Karani. And and this idea of letting the light come in and, and also like relieving the pressure from the legs and letting all the blood come into the heart, into the brain. So healthy. Yeah. Sometimes
0: I've, yeah. I'm not feeling anything anymore. I'm not as if I'm not existing. Only that light thing.
1: You do that twice a day. Mm-hmm. This uh, light meditation, I was doing it while you were narrating it. And it it moves like down through the crown, fills the head, and then it goes all the way down into the pelvis. And yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and you can also concentrate
0: on your pelvis. You can concentrate on your eyes where the light should come in, on your e- on your ears. You can concentrate on certain places. It's lovely. That's what I do.
1: I think these concepts that you're laying out, listening is love. Practicing joy, being curious, letting the light fill you, Uh, they are the secrets to lifelong creativity and, and loving this existence. Yeah, and you know what's
0: enormously important is that you always are aware this moment is the moment. This is the moment we have, that we are sitting here looking at each other, talking to each other. This is our moment. We don't know what is after this interview. See, we don't know. And this don't know makes you so grateful because you only have this. This is this, this man with whom I am close. We have 25 years between us. And I asked him, does it, does it bother you or does this give you? He said, no. Which we, we only live now. We only have this moment. years and different make no difference. Years aren't doing any
1: nothing because we only have this time. I'm realizing, as you say that, that that even the question of of like, how does it feel to age is an inappropriate question. It doesn't matter. It's this moment is the one you have. Why think about that? Think about that when you get there. It doesn't matter. And I have a pendulum. With this,
0: with the pendulum, I found the farm from the kitchen table in New York. I pendled the east coast of America where I should go for with a tree where trees are growing, and it brought me to the farm. And that pendulum, I'm asking what I should eat or what I should do. Not all the time, but often, if it's good for me. How does that work? How does it work? This is a this energy. If it's a positive energy, if you could drink wine tonight or not, or coffee, or you know, all these kind of things which are not natural to food, I do that because I really like to be in good health.
1: What is your theory on the pendulum's movement?
0: It's on the string. I, I've done homeopathy and we did that. I learned to do the medication huh. on a patient with this pendulum about 50 years ago <laughs> so long ago
1: what's what do you think is moving the pendulum is it is it is it the energy of the practitioner or the energy of the receiving object that's moving it
0: yes it's a, it's both it's both there's receiving object and you if they harmonize now should you have a glass of wine hold the glass of wine and see is this ask is this good for me now and when it says no it's not good for you I, I do that a lot. Sometimes I forget, but I do it a lot.
1: I'm running the show. The women who are listening to the show are mostly 38 to 38 and up, 40 and up-ish. And many of them are at a point in their lives where they're uh, examining what their second act will be. You know, um, they're looking at how do they pivot in the face of midlife, their children are grown, whatever. Uh, they're looking at finding meaning or making meaning. And so this year, I wanted to do a broader investigation into creativity, into staying inspired your whole lifelong, into the role of the female dialogue in art making and business making and things like that. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. I live out in this uh, redwood forest right at the bottom of Mount Tamil Pius in Northern California. And I saw this project you're doing on the trees. Yeah. I would love to learn more about um, your experience as an artist and what you're working on now, and what's motivating you now. So sort of starting from now and working backwards into these other incredible parts of your story. So I could have been a tree. What's that project about? I could have been a tree instead. The environment
0: has been a theme in several forms in my work, pretty much all the time, because like 35 years ago, I painted Freud as a landscape. It's, a, it's, it's in some somewhere you can find it in my inn. And it, right now the original is in, it was exhibited in Venice. But I have always included us humans directly into landscape. I come from a very large farm near Munich after the war. And so I knew the, the, the big value of food because nobody had food. But we had food because we had land and things like that. So I met this artist, um, Michelle Galliano, we just met a year ago. And we, we just somehow thought the same thought that we need to speak about the urgency. What is going to happen if we don't turn around everything what kills nature and what kills our livelihood? And so that's when the whole thing started a year ago. And now we have a very, very extended, almost all finished five room show, which we will now make into a movie, an immersive movie where each room has 10 minutes while you sit in a room and you get educated, bombarded, your five senses are engaged what happens to us? Because the subtitle is Nature Does Not Need You. The immersive w- way of this movie is going is in the works now. It's going to be shot that you sit and you are in the paintings, you are in the sculptures. That's all around you. You cannot escape. You sit there and you are immersed in it. Then you can walk outside and see the show. You see like 90 works of art in, included, sculptures included. So this is right now worked on to finish. The movie is scripted. And so this is right now being done within the next five, six weeks. And then we present it. I am doing the paintings, which I painted together with Michelle. We paint, I put something in and I give it to her and she puts something in. This has been done by the surrealists and it's called, the method is called Cadavre Exquisit. And by merging our work together and our thoughts together, we create like a gesamt artwork and the thought of it is that nature is in danger because we need it. You know, this kind of thing. So it is it is right now in the works. But I am a sculptor and a painter, and I paint together with Michel and sculpt together with Michel in that work.
1: This cadaver exquisite, this gesamt. Malung or whatever, what, that sounds like lovemaking. Like you're passing a piece and she's passing a piece. Mm-hmm. What like Very trusting and delicate engagement. What's, what's that like? It took us about a month sitting together and talking
0: about it and not being able to do it. What it really, finally, we could do it is because we both admire each other's work tremendously. We understand each other very well. We are two mothers of three sons each. We come from the earth, she from America, I from Germany. And uh, we felt so much kinship in what we wanted to express. And finally, somehow we could get into each other's work. It was very hard. It wasn't easy because it is so intimate, like lovemaking. You're absolutely right. Yes, But we did it. So now we are almost hooked on it. We love doing working together. We love it.
1: This tie to the land. I also have three sons, by the way, and a farm. So we're very intertwined. (laughs) Um, You have a farm. You have an artist colony sort of uh, place. Can you talk about that?
0: Well, I have a farm near Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh. Right now I'm in my studio in town. I have a studio there as well. So I have a farm in Virginia since 1980.
1: It's It looks exquisite. Uh, the pictures that I saw look like every room was a vignette of collections and, and subtle things and, you know, very visually commanding. So, well, I, lo- I love this conversation. Is there anything else you want people to hear about the show or your artwork or anything else before we go? The show is, is within, I guess, the next
0: month or two will be finished and we... We would very much like to start here at the museum in Charlottesville because we both work here
1: and come from here. There was, there was one piece that you did. It's a big tableau, big blues, big reds of naked women in, the, in nature that I, I think it's in that show. I'm going to find it. It was one of my favorite pieces.
0: Oh, where they're all laying in water and they don't realize it. The water is coming by the beach. Can you tell me about that painting? It's called Illumination and Illusion. It's five women by the beach. It's all generations. It's five women. One is pregnant and the others are younger and older. I painted it quite a long time ago. And two years ago when I had this show, and the show was called Illumination and Illusion. I was working with the water comes up. There are other paintings where the is a group of people like standing about, and water is on almost over their knees, and the dog is in the, everybody is drowning, and nobody is noticing it
1: that's that's the one that I have my eye on.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah, it's good. it's a good one.
1: The Siete has. Um, if you're out there and you're able to go to the Siete site, you can do a virtual tour of this exhibit, and it's very. It's like the three dimensional web has become real. The walkthrough is so realistic. You can zo- you sit on a bench and look at the work, or zoom in and see the work, and and um, I've, your paintings are grand and vibrant, and and it, I did feel like I was sitting in a gallery. So the best um, visual experience without having been in a place that I've seen. They did a great job representing you. Thank you. All right, Beatrix Ost, thank you for sharing your wisdom and your experience. It's such a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for joining me on this week's edition of the Rose Woman Podcast. If you'd like to find Beatrix, you can discover her over on Instagram at Beatrix Ost, B-E-A-T-R-I-X-O-S-T, and I'm over there too, the dot rose dot woman. I feel so grateful when I get notes from you guys about what you're getting out of the pot or how much you like it or something that you've learned. So please keep them coming. You can write to me Christine at Rosewoman.com or if you have something really nice to say, go over to the Big Apple platform and leave us a review. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe and if this episode had something beautiful in it for you or something that touched you then please share it just text somebody in your address book and let them know that we're out here spreading the good word about being more free and more happy your whole life long all right love you take care